Peace be upon you. So I want to start with this little fable. There was a person in paradise and they wanted to see what it was like in hell. They were curious. So they asked God, they said, hey God, can I go and take a look at hell? And God tells him that he encourages him to stay in paradise, but he's always free to leave if he wants to go and see. So the man thinks about it and says, okay, well, I guess there's no harm in checking it out. And he figures that he's just going to pop in, take a look, and then come right back to paradise. But to his surprise, when he gets there, it looks incredible. Everyone's playing, having fun, partaking in all kinds of debauchery, and he's mesmerized. He stays for the day and he has a blast. Then he stumbles back into paradise. You know, the next day he goes back to God. He says, God, uh, is it okay if I go back to hell? I want to I see it for a second time. And God again tells him, says, hey, I encourage you to stay here, but you're more than free to leave if you want. So he was thinking and says, okay, maybe his experience yesterday was a fluke. Maybe there was some event going on and it can't be like that two days in a row. So he says, okay, he goes back to hell. And this time, as soon as he enters the gate, everyone's happy to see him. They're thrilled. And he has another day of debauchery and fun and play. And he's just so stoked. So after seeing this, you know, both times having such an amazing, fun, enchanting experience, he says, you know what? I'm going to leave paradise. I'm going to spend eternity in hell. So he goes and he tells God his decision. And God, again, encourages him, says, hey, I recommend you stay in paradise, but you're always free to leave. And the person says, thank you, God, but I made up my mind. So he grabs all his belongings and he descends to hell, ready for an eternity of fun and debauchery. Except as soon as he gets to the gates, they open up. He's immediately grabbed. He's shackled. He's thrown into an iron pot only to be incessantly tortured, burned, and scalded with boiling water. The man, he, he's stunned. He pleads. He tries to figure out what's going on. I had so much fun the previous days. And he asks for an answer. And they finally respond. And they tell him. They say, oh, that, what you experience, oh, that's for the guests. You, my friend, now are a resident. So the reason I bring up this, uh, this joke, per se, is that this is a good depiction of how heaven and hell is perceived in this world by individuals. The world is kind of a halfway house where we can experience both heaven and hell, except in this domain, Satan makes hell look irresistible, makes it look fun and enticing. And heaven, on the other hand, it looks like hard work and discipline. And not very much fun. You know, for instance, if uh, you ask people how they perceive submission, you know, what do they typically say? They say, oh, there's a bunch of rules. There's obligations. You guys got to fast for a whole month. You know, that doesn't look like fun. You got to give to charity. I mean, this is the money I earn. Uh, I want to keep this money. Why do I have to give it to someone else? You have these rituals that you perform. You know, you put your head on the ground in prostration. You put your foot in the sink for evolution. You know, that doesn't look like fun at all. And then you have to maintain your oath. You can't lie. You can't cheat. You can't steal. You can't try to get the upper hand. And then on top of that, you have this hereafter that you have to live for. You know, that doesn't look like fun at all. Now, contrast that with how people perceive life without religion. How is it depicted? You know, they think that in essence, oh, without religion, you can live for this life. And that uh, you get what you want and you can chase after it, and there's no rules or rituals, no authority, no punishment, no prohibitions, everything is uh, permissible. That uh, you can keep all the money you earn. You know, you don't have to go give it to some poor person asking for you. You don't have to help out your relatives or those in need. Uh, that you can eat and drink whatever you want as much as you want. There's no limitation. That you can sleep in, you can be lazy. Uh, you can do this without any repercussions, because the only one you're going to be accountable for is yourself. 
You know, it sounds like a pretty good uh, gig. But the irony is, how does this end for the people? Does the absence of religion actually make people happier? Does it make them more fulfilled? You know, the data on this is pretty clear. People who are religious are generally happier in this world. You know, they have uh, lower rates of depression, lower rates of suicide, lower rates of self-harm, higher self-value, all these net positives. And what's interesting is that it doesn't seem to matter too much what faith a person ascribes to. You know, all in all, if a person is religious, uh, that all else being equal, that they're, as long as they're making God their priority, they will be generally happier than one who doesn't have a established religion. You know, the Pew Research, they do these awesome reports, and uh, they did a survey of 26 countries, and these were four of their main takeaways. It says, actively religious people are more likely than their less religious peers to describe themselves as very happy. So, for instance, in the United States, on only the metric of how religiously active are you, the individuals who self-identified as actively religious, and again, it didn't care about the faith, just the fact that they were actively religious, 36% of them self-identified as very happy. So that means roughly one out of three people, if they're actively religious, and you ask them, how do you feel about your life? They're going to say they're very happy. Now contrast that with people who are inactively religious or unaffiliated, and that number drops to 25%. So now one out of four people. Now, some people say that, oh, well, these are positively correlated, that someone who's religious, typically they're of higher net worth, they have a healthier lifestyles and this and that. But what's interesting was there wasn't a connection between health and religiosity, meaning that the people overall health-wise, it didn't seem to have a correlation between their health status and how religious they were. Now, this is true with the exception of one caveat. The individuals who self-identify as actively religious are generally less likely than their counterparts to smoke and drink. And there is a distinct correlation with those who don't partake in this activities and their overall happiness. And this brings us to the fourth point. People who attend religious services at least monthly often are more likely than uh, people who don't to join other types of non-religious organizations like charities and clubs and to volunteer and to have more of a sense of community. And all this, again, is correlated with higher levels of happiness. You know, even rituals, which are constantly mocked by the irreverent, have been found to have great worldly benefits for the people who abide by them. You know, these are practices that command focus, attention, typically involve symbolic actions that must be done in a meticulous way that appear to have no worldly benefit for doing it this way, that they show that there's a tremendous benefit for the well-being of the people who practice these rituals, irrespective of their faith. Now, I'm not saying that religious belief doesn't matter, but what I'm insinuating is that these practices that constitute, you know, the vast majority of religions that are practiced today, that their underlying uh, worldly benefits still far exceeds those who don't have these practices. The example that comes to mind is that of fasting, specifically that of Ramadan. And you'll see that there's individuals who will partake in Ramadan, you know, out of solidarity uh, for a friend, and they themselves don't believe in God, they don't believe in any of the, 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 the aspects of it, but they will still reap the worldly benefits of fasting for a month. That during that time, they'll reduce their calorie intake, they'll reach a state of ketosis, they'll burn more fat, 
they'll be able to recalibrate, you know, what it means to actually be hungry. And on top of that, when they get to break their fast, the appreciation they have for that first bite or that first drink, that these are all uh, worldly benefits that anyone who fasts gets. But the reality is these worldly benefits are nothing compared to the manifold of benefits in the hereafter, the growth and development of one's soul, who does it for the right reasons. And that's how most religious practices are is that the religious practices, again, irrespective, they will have some worldly benefits for the people. But it's only the ones that are done absolutely for God alone. Those are the ones that are going to have the benefits in this world and in the realm of our souls. But for that peace, it requires trust in God. Because again, these concepts, you know, doing our salat, giving our zakat, fasting during the month of Ramadan, it looks hard, it looks difficult. And a lot of people, they're repulsed by it. They don't want to go through the difficulty. And there's a common expression. It says, you have to see it to believe it. Except the Quran tells us the, uh, the opposite. In the opening statement of Surah 2 of the Quran, it tells us that first we have to believe. Then we do the actions. Then we will see the, the results. It reads in Surah 2 verse 2, it says, This scripture is infallible, a beacon for the righteous, who believe in the unseen. So it's saying here that they believe in what they can't see in front of them. And it says, observe the contact prayer salat, and from our provisions to them, they give to charity. So now it's giving some requirements. So you have to believe in what you can't see, and then you fulfill this. You do your salat, you give your zakat, and it says, these are guided by their Lord. These are the successful ones. That this is the process that God is instituting in the Quran. That first we have to believe in the unseen. That these things from the outside, they look hard, they look difficult. And God says, if you do them, then you will be successful. You know, one of the follies of the human being is that we are easily deceived by illusion and reality. In Surah 75 verse 5, it says, but the human being tends to believe only what he sees in front of him. And Satan knows this. Satan abuses this. Satan uses this to uh, deceive the human being and to lead them astray. In this domain... He presents his path to hell as fun, as exciting, as endless pleasure. And the path to heaven is hard work that's restrictive, that's even boring. And from the external perspective, this actually seems true. But what we should not mistake is the journey for the destination. Because even though the journey of righteousness may seem hard, the destination is ultimately where all the glory resides. That's because the journey, it could be hard. It could be even painful. But in that pain, in that hardship, we find purpose and meaning in what eternally gives us satisfaction. In Surah 94, verse 5 through 7, it says, With pain there is gain. Indeed, with pain there is gain. And then it tells us, Whenever possible, you shall strive. Meaning that, yeah, the striving in the cause of God might cause some pain. It might cause some hardship. But it's ultimately for your own good because that's where the growth occurs. You know, God encourages the believers to pick the difficult path. In Surah 90 verse 10 through 19, it says, Did we not show you the two paths? You should choose the difficult path. Which one is the difficult path? The freeing of slaves, feeding during the time of hardship, orphans who are related or the poor who is in need. So God is telling us to do these difficult things, to free the slave, to feed the orphan, even in the times when we're going through hardship. And it says, and being one of those who believe in exhorting one another to be steadfast and exhorting one another to be kind, these have deserved happiness. Meaning that if you choose the difficult path, 
that God will grant us happiness. And this is as for those who disbelieve in our revelations, they have incurred misery. You know, the natural instinct for humans is to avoid pain and to seek pleasure. God is telling us to fight that urge and first seek righteousness. But if we don't do that, if we seek the pleasure and only to avoid the pain, God guarantees that that individual will see misery. You know, those who inevitably chase after the vanities of this world will incur misery both in this world and ultimately in the hereafter for all of eternity. In order to save ourselves from such a disastrous fate, we need to fight some of our predispositions. That's our pride, our vanity, our greed, our lust, our envy, our gluttony, our wrath, our laziness. That it's only when we fight these urges are we able to achieve real happiness. In Surah 62, verse 9 through 11, it discusses the importance of the congregational prayers. It says, O you who believe, when the congregational prayer, Salat al-Jumah, is announced on Friday, you shall hasten to the commemoration of God and drop all business. This is better for you if you only knew. Once the prayer is completed, you may spread through the land to seek God's bounties and to continue to remember God frequently that you may succeed. And then it gives us this warning. It says, when some of them come across a business deal or some entertainment, they rush to it and leave you standing. Say, God possesses far better than the entertainment or the business. God is the best provider. You know, the natural instinct for most people is to abandon their congregational prayer, to go and chase the fun, the entertainment, the ability to make one more business transaction, to accumulate more wealth. And God is telling us, don't follow that path. That path is going to lead to failure. But the path that leads to success is we do what God commands us. In the same surah, God describes that the individuals who are blessed with God's scripture, with all this wisdom, informing them of how to prioritize their life, that if they fail to uphold it, that they would be behaving like a donkey carrying great works of literature. Many people think that leaving their fun, entertainment, work in favor for the Friday congregational prayer is too difficult. And from the outside perspective, they may be right. It is difficult. It's meant to be difficult. But God informs us that if we choose his path, he'll make it easy. And not only will he make it easy, he will bless us tremendously. In Surah 65, verse 4, in the last sentence, it states, Anyone who reverences God, he makes everything easy for him. So the lesson here is that we choose what appears to be the difficult path. This path in this worldly domain looks difficult. But if we go down this path, God guarantees us that we will be successful, that it will make it easy for us and enjoyable. We have the example in Surah 7 verse 163. It says, Remind them of the community by the sea who desecrated the Sabbath. When they observed the Sabbath, the fish came to them abundantly. And when they violated the Sabbath, the fish did not come. We thus afflicted them as a consequence of their transgression. Doing the obligations that God informs us in the Quran is for our own success. It will make us successful in this life and in the hereafter. But making that decision, that's the hard part. There's a famous quote I love citing. It says, hard choices, easy life. Easy choices, hard life. If we try to choose the easy path, 
we're going to guarantee ourselves difficulty. But if we trust in God and choose the hard path, the difficult path, God guarantees us success in this world and in the hereafter, that he'll allow that lesson we learn by choosing the difficult path to strengthen us, to make our lives enjoyable, to give us true satisfaction. So individuals, they often make excuses that following this difficult path, the path of submission, it's too hard for them, that it's too difficult to get up at dawn, to do their salat, to recite the Quran at dawn. It's hard to fast during the month of Ramadan, that it's hard to avoid intoxicants and gambling and lust, that it's hard to control one's anger or to forgive or to respond in the best possible response. You know, all this sounds difficult, but it's through this regimen that God makes it easy. God not only makes the process easy, God makes the challenges easy. The purpose of these practices is not just so we get really good at doing salat. Oh, I get really good at fasting. I get really good at giving to charity. No, the purpose of this is that it builds the foundation of how to purify and develop our souls. So when we're really put to the test, we perform in the manner that's pleasing to God. You know, if we don't practice every day by doing this regimen, by doing these things that God ascribes to us, then how are we supposed to perform when the test really comes? You know, consider an Olympic athlete. You know, they don't just wake up, get off the couch and go and try to run. No, they practice day in, day out. So when they're put to the test, when they're actually competing for the gold, that they're going to perform to their optimal capacity. And God does the same thing for us in this world. By doing this regimen, by doing the difficult things on a day-in, day-out basis, when the real test comes, we'll be able to, God willing, pass with flying colors. In Surah 29, verse 1 and 2, it says, Do the believers think that they will be left to say we believe without being put to the test? We have tested those before them, for we must distinguish those who are truthful from the liars. This is God's system. And every human being who gets admitted has to go through this test to see what they're really made of. In Surah 2, verse 214, it reads, Do you expect to enter paradise without being put to the test like those before you? They were tested with hardship and adversity and were shaken up until the messenger and those who believed with him said, Where is God's victory? God's victory is near. We pick the difficult path, not because it's easy, but because it's hard, in the famous words of John F. Kennedy. The aspect is it's through these hard, difficult tasks that we strengthen and develop our souls, that when we're really put to the test, our true character comes out and God willing is pleasing to God. And that guarantees us success in this world and in the hereafter. Recently on the news, there was an individual, her name is Kathleen Casillo. She's 54 years old and a New York City mother of three. And back in 2020, she got caught up in one of these BLM protests and she was driving and they started attacking her car. She freaks out and plows through the crowd. Now, I'm not saying her actions were right or wrong or anything. What's interesting is she was offered two plea bargains and the plea bargain simply said, look, admit that you were at fault. You get one year of a suspended license and I think six days of community service. Right, a relatively low threshold to avoid serious prison time. And both times she refused the plea bargain. Her reason being she felt totally justified in what she did. She thought her and her daughter's life was in jeopardy, that the mob was going to get her, and she did what any reasonable person would do. And because of that, she's 
facing a jury trial where if she's found convicted, she can serve seven years in prison. Consider the backbone that takes in order to know these two paths. You have the easy path. You plead guilty, right? You get the one-year suspension. You get the six days of community service. But if you genuinely believe that you were in the right, that you were innocent, that you were not at fault, the trust in God one needs to have in order to say, no, I'm not going to bear false witness to this, right? Now, she might be doing it out of ignorance. I don't know. God knows. But the aspect is, you know, are we willing to do the difficult things when they're called upon us? Or are we willing to bend our integrity when the external circumstances make it tantalizing? Her story, it reminded me of Joseph. You know, in the history of Joseph, he was falsely convicted for a crime everyone knew he did not commit. He spent years in prison. And finally, when the king came to release him, what was his response? He didn't say, oh, thank goodness, I'm ready to go out. No, he said, go and investigate those women who made this false accusation against me. And he refused to leave the prison. And then when they went and they investigated the women and they saw that he was not at fault, that this was a conspiracy against him, then they came back to him and said, okay, now are you ready to leave? And at that time, he said, yeah, but I want to be the treasurer of all of Egypt. And God gave him that. God knew his integrity. God knew that he was ready for such responsibility. And it was only through this hardship, through this kind of uh, rigorous regimen, that he was able to achieve such heights. Now, how many people want to be Joseph in prison? How many people want to be in that situation and are willing to stick with their integrity to stick with their confidence in God over taking that simple plea bargain. You know, how often are we given this choice in life? Take the easy route, you know, do a little bit of a lie, a cheat, a steal, whatever, and then get out of this possibility of severe hardship. And how many people take that difficult path? Now, most people would never want to be in that position to start. And then the, ironically, if they were in that position, they wouldn't be able to handle the responsibility it comes with. And these are the things that most people avoid. They don't want any part of it, right? They want the easy life. They want the fun life. Now, contrast this out with another incident that just recently took place. This was a person who appeared to have everything that a person would want in the worldly life. The person's name was Stephen Twitch Boss. He was a freestyle hip-hop dancer, a choreographer, an actor, a television producer, and a television personality. In 2008, he finished second place on the show So You Think You Can Dance. He was featured on Ellen DeGeneres, and he was a co-host, and he was also the co-executive producer of the program. He was married to another celebrity, and he was wealthy, he had beautiful children, a beautiful uh, spouse, he had status, he had money, he had everything that millions of people, they, they, they fantasize about having, he had in the palm of his hand. And then, on December 13th, he got himself a hotel, and he killed himself. From the outside perspective, if you had to choose between these two lives, you see Joseph in prison and you see this guy on top of the world, which life would you want to choose? The reality is most people are going to choose the one with the money, the status, the celebrity, that it goes to show these things that so many people chase after, spend an entire life trying to obtain. They don't bring the genuine happiness and satisfaction that we all want to have. And that's because the only true happiness, again, comes from God alone. In Surah 53, 
verse 48, the translations typically say he is the one, in reference to God, who makes you rich or poor. What's interesting is in the Arabic, the word for rich, aqana, the literal meaning of that is someone who's free from need. And the word that's used here that's translated as poor is aqana, that almost sounds identical with just the difference in one letter. This word implies someone who's made satisfied. And the takeaway from this verse is that it's only God who has the power, the capability to make someone genuinely, truly free from need and to make someone genuinely and truly satisfied. If we go and chase this from any other source, we'll never be fulfilled. And yeah, from the outside perspective, it looks tantalizing. It looks amazing. It looks like so much fun and entertainment. But if you go down that path, you can guarantee it will never quench your thirst. But if you go down the path that God advises us, He tells us, pick the difficult path to do your salat, to give your zakat, to be of someone of integrity, to respond in the best possible response, that these things, despite looking difficult, that despite being hard, that God will not only make them easy, He'll make it enjoyable, and He'll give us what we actually crave, which is the perfect contentment and satisfaction. In Surah 13, verse 14, it says, Imploring Him is the only legitimate supplication. While the idols they implore beside Him cannot ever respond, thus they are like those who stretch their hands to the water, but nothing reaches their mouths. The supplication of the disbelievers are in vain. The only one who can make us genuinely satisfied, who can make us genuinely free from all other needs is God alone. When we chase any of these other mirages, all we're doing is we're being deceived by Satan. In Surah 24, verse 39, it says, As for those who disbelieve, their works are like a mirage in the desert. A thirsty person thinks that it is water. But when he reaches it, he finds that it is nothing. And he finds God there instead to requite him fully for his works. God is the most efficient reckoner. Let's not get caught up in Satan's illusions. Let's not get enticed by the false promises of Satan, who only's objective is to lead us astray. Let's stay committed to the path of God. Let's do the things that God encourages us to. And if we do that, God allows us to spend our time in this world and in the hereafter in paradise in perfect health, perfect wealth, perfect happiness, in this life and in the hereafter. God willing, we're going to end the podcast there. If you guys want to get in touch, you want to find like-minded individuals, please join us on our Discord server. You can find the invite link below. If you want to follow along the verses of the Quran, please download the Quran Study app on the iOS App Store. And if you want to get more information, you can check out the Quran Talk blog or chroniclabs.com. And until next time, peace and God bless.